Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Faithful UK Show. Hi guys, welcome back. Week 7 is in the books. And what a shower of the brown stuff that was. It wasn't exactly the performance that we all wanted. I think we all knew we'd uh, get beat off the Rams. Or we had a good idea we would. They're a very, very good team. But we all kind of hoped that some of the positives from the last couple of weeks, the uh, offensive performance against Green Bay Packers and the Cardinals, even though we lost both of those games, it, it was an improvement on previous weeks. And we thought we may bring that into yesterday's game unfortunately the performance turned out to be quite unique for this season because everything was basically abysmal from start to finish but the one drive um, so I think we all have been left feeling a little bit shell-shocked um, and feeling also let down by the players themselves what do you think Brian? Yeah, um, it wasn't particularly great, was it? Um, as soon as I saw that um, Sherman was inactive, I kind of uh, I thought, well, any chance that we possibly did have of even trying to compete is or stay close with them is probably gone out the window. Um, it was a surprise to me to see that he was missing because we mustn't forget that Sherman is on um bonuses based on his time played and his percentage of snaps played so clearly it wasn't just a knock or something that he can work through or play through because why would he you know it, when he's got those sort of performance related uh, incentives in his contract so uh, if I could have resubmitted my prediction at sort of nine o'clock last night I would have probably been closer to saying something more along the lines of what well, I fully expect the Rams to put 40 or 50 points on us now, but I still didn't see us scoring 10. No, I've, I've <laughs> I mean, got to say, was, yeah, that was poor, very, very it? disappointing. Yeah. It was. And, yeah, it, it was just, it was just a, it was just a mess from start to finish. And, um, I kind of feel bad for being so down and, and trying to, but I'm trying to sort of temper it with the fact that, well, it was the best team in the league. We are in the middle of an injury crisis and the, we just keep committing these turnovers and it, it it just makes it hard to watch week after week, doesn't it? It's It's getting beyond frustrating at times now, but I do need to try and try and reel that frustration in somewhat yeah, purely so, just based on the fact that it was the Rams. To, to, to be honest, when I rewatched the game this morning the first thing that I found interesting was when I watched it the first half didn't look as bad as what I was expecting it to look like and we didn't do that badly at all, the, the defence were playing well, we did move the ball, maybe not as well as what we have done previous weeks but it was the turnovers again that killed us. I mean, mm. theoretically, going off what we what we basically gave the Rams at the start of that game and the first half, they should have been out of sight. And, and yeah. I know a lot of people turn around and say, well, there were 22 zip up. They were out of sight. Well, not really. By the end of the half, we're getting seven on the board. We had put points on the board. So you're talking a touchdown and a touchdown with 
a two-point conversion and, and be back in it. And we had the two turnovers. So it didn't look too bad in the first half. It's the second half where it completely went downhill for me, where the coverages were exposed again. I mean, that, that's one of the things we've talked about week after week. The coverage was absolutely garbage. Um, without trying to sound too negative, to be honest, everything was garbage. Yeah, it was men versus boys. It was, yeah. I mean, watching Donald and Sue just absolutely power through the O-line was unbelievable. You're right. It, yeah. it did look like men versus boys. Yeah. I think that's the first game that we've, well, after the first quarter anyway, that we've not been competitive at all, have we? It was pretty much anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And I think we, we mentioned it in, the, in in last week that we said that this, this is a kind of a, a benchmark or a yardstick game to see how good we are. And based on the, the game that we watched Sunday night, we're not very good at all. Um, and we're nowhere near where we need to be. Um, I mean, I actually stopped making notes at halftime because I just thought, well, what's the point? Because th- what's the point in going over all of these bad plays over and over again? We're just going through the same thing seemingly over and over again. Um, we just got battered, didn't we? And I'm amazed the Rams didn't pull their starters early, to be honest, because I and I was actually posted that in the group that, or and when I was doing my notes that I thought, well, if I if I was a Rams fan now, I'd be thinking, what's Gurley and Goff still doing in there? And as as I was kind of putting that down, Gurley ran in or caught his touchdown for the third for his third touchdown, and then shortly after that, the backups were rightly in, but. Yeah, it was the turnovers. Two of them were unbelievable turnovers. I mean, if if those plays happened 99 other times, they probably wouldn't be turnovers. It was just two incredible plays. Um, you know, the Donald fumble where he's um, ripped it from Breeder yeah. and then obviously the contested pick. They were both um, sensational plays. And that Rams defense just was completely dominant. And uh, And you can't give an offense like that um, short yardage situations. They scored their touchdowns off of drives of 21, 41, 27, and 13 yard drives. Ridiculous. So I'm glad you mentioned one of the interceptions, and I'm assuming the one that you were talking about being the contested one was the one with Kittle. Yeah, the one with Kittle, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. So what I noticed about the first interception is CTA had done really well to escape the pressures, the, the pocket was collapsing and make the throw. And the throw, to be honest, was a good throw. He put it the only place, uh, sorry, he put it a place where only Goodwin should have been able to get that ball. But at the very last yeah. moment, Goodwin hesitated and didn't finish the route off. And Hill was right behind him, and he managed to get enough of his body around there to get that ball. And to me, I, I think I'm letting CT off with that interception. I thought he made a good throw there when you watch it over again. It should have been Goodwin. It was nice and low. Goodwin was in front of the defender, but then he hesitated at the very last moment, and that's what let the defender in. Yeah, and that was similar to the one, the deep one last week as well, wasn't yeah. it? On the third, third and three against Green Bay, it's just that slight hesitation, and and the uh, safety makes the pick. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it's things like that. So. Obviously, in in the group, there's a lot of people jumping on um, Bethard's back. Yeah, he did. He did have a stinking game. It was the worst game I've seen him play. But like I said, I mean, interception one, 
I thought that was a great play by Hill, the Rams defender. I thought he did really well to get in front of Goodwin. Goodwin helped them obviously with that little stutter step right at the very end. The second interception again. Now, that decision I think was a poor decision to throw to Kittle because he was well covered there. But Kittle did was unlucky not to haul the ball in. Like I said, it was a contested uh, interception. And you do really have to give the defender credit as well for making it. Um, but for that, I think Kittle had a poor throw there. I think that was a poor decision. And it's something that's come up over the last few weeks. Who he's throwing the ball to. He's obviously looking at Kittle first time all the time. Um, and it's obvious to everyone. So Kittle's now getting a lot closer attention. And I think as the season goes on, if it works like it did last night and our wide receivers are completely irrelevant then we are going to struggle. Mm. And there's also the fact that we're still not 100% sure whether that ball actually was intercepted and whether the ball actually did touch the floor as well, are we? Because it wasn't massively conclusive or inconclusive either way, was no, it? you're right. When, when you watch the replays back. Uh, if that had been, if that had actually had, if that game wasn't flexed and that was on the Sunday night football, we'd have probably had another two, maybe three angles on that, and we'd have probably had more conclusive evidence as to what did happen. Yeah. I think my good feeling um, was when I first saw the replay, I thought it did hit the ground, but you couldn't see it move. Yeah. Yeah. But we said last week, didn't we, that it, this could probably be CJ's worst game in the season, and, and it yeah. was possibly even his worst game in a 49ers jersey. He just he, he wasn't able to get into his rhythm. Um Three turnovers, one touchdown drive. Um, yeah, we turned the ball over four times. Um, oh, it, <laughs> sacked seven times. It was just a horror show, wasn't it? Like we were, we were sort of praising him last week, but this was like a massive regression for me. Not not just on CJ himself, but the, the whole offense was it was just awful. And he, it, it, he seemingly spent too long in the pocket again. He seemed to be a bit slower in his progressions. That there, there wasn't. The communication seemed to be poor on the botched snap and things like that. It, it was just just a comedy of errors. And he, he did well against Green Bay in similar circumstances last week, but against an even better defense this weekend, just gone. He pretty much completely crumbled. And yeah, you can say that he was up against a one-man wrecking crew and Aaron Donald, but Aaron Donald is is the best defensive player in the NFL, and he's performing at a, probably a higher level than anybody else, even going back possibly to when J.J. Watt was performing at his highest level before his injury. Yeah. yeah. The, to be honest, I mean, the team looked as though, or not the team, I'll say the offence looked as though they were completely overawed by the matchup they had with the Rams' defence. And yeah. I don't know whether or not they were giving them far too much respect or they were just scared of them, basically. And that's what it seemed like. They had a real tough time against them, tougher than they should have been or should have had. And it was it was devastating to watch, basically. I mean, yeah, I said I didn't want to get too negative. I, I, I agree with everybody's frustrations last night. It was poor to watch. You wait so long for it, and it's just really hard to put into words. Yeah, I think it was just the the manner of the defeat that makes it worse because we started quite well as well, didn't we? But when you, when you break it down, you can't stop the Rams scoring touchdowns on their opening three drives 
and then not score yourself until your sixth drive. It, it that ain't going to win games. And our defense came to play in that first quarter, and they more than exceeded my expectations. But they just couldn't continue it through beyond there for some reason. And the Rams did to us what we've done to teams at times, but they kept doing it. And that was they they kept playing the same play over and over again. Or they were using the same scheme. They were using the same runs they were using the same throws and we couldn't stop it so they just kept doing it and they even were doing that when they had their backups in in the fourth quarter with the runs up the middle we weren't stopping them converting you know on third downs and stuff they knew how to beat us on those inside runs they set up the pass and we couldn't stop it and yeah Goff took advantage of our weakened secondary hooking up with um, Cooks and Woods and it was just far too easy Gurley had absolutely enormous holes to go into at times and yeah, it was just a shame that we couldn't cash in on on that opening quarter. And I mean, I, I noted down that to be only three down after two LA possessions was a small victory, but we did nothing with it. And then, you know, tart drops are pretty much surefire pick six as well. Could that have changed the game? Yeah, possibly. But would it have changed the overall outcome of the game? No, probably not. But uh, you just don't know, do you? That, well, that, you, you don't that kind know. of play that, that puts the crowd on your side and everything as well. Well, you know, while it's still early in the game, who knows? Yeah, but, I mean, me- momentum is a big thing. It is a big game changer. Yeah. If you can get a little bit of momentum behind you, that could have put the offence more at ease. I mean, like I said, that... Um, that tart interception, that should have been an interception. He, he was already dreaming of the end zone before he'd even get that ball yeah. in his hand, and that's what the problem was. And I think he knows that. He was always he was already looking, right, this is the way I'm going to run. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, overall, it was hard to find many positives when, when you look at the quarterback play and the receiving play. The receivers were only four, uh, wide receivers were only had four catches for 35 yards. Our rushing offense was poor when when you sort of yeah we got some nice yardage but we we fumbled again. The O line was manhandled at times. Season high seven sacks. Run defense was okay. Pass defense was poor. Pass rush. Mm. <laughs> Even the special teams were crap, weren't they? They were. <laughs> yeah. Punts and third and down defense is still poor. Yeah. Still communication problems. Missed tackles every facet of the game was just poor and you, you can't have that we've had a few games where we've had one bit working or a couple of bits working but for whatever reason Sunday night it just uh, it all went to pot yeah agreed so the Rams had a safety on a blocked punt and I'm quite surprised that nobody in the in the thread actually asked why that wasn't flagged with the defender running into the kicker, the kicker's standing leg. And I must mm. admit, that was one of the things I thought as well. Why wasn't there a flag thrown there? So I actually went online to look it up in the NFL rule book. And okay. this is what the rule book says. No defensive player may run into or rough a kicker who kicks from behind the line unless such contact is incidental to and occurs after the defender has touched the kick in flight. And that's why there wasn't a okay. flag, because the defender had already batted the ball before he hit the leg. If he'd missed that ball and it hadn't been blocked, we'd have had a 15-yard penalty and an automatic first down. But obviously, he, he did Yeah, I it. mean, I must, have, yeah, I must admit, when I saw it, I didn't think there was anything 
well, other than the fact that it was blocked, so I, did, I didn't see anything wrong with uh, with what the Rams did there, to be honest. Yeah. I thought it was a good fair play. So, as far as positives are concerned, I know you said you, you can't find many from last night, and to be honest, I couldn't either. Uh, and the, the only three positives I've got is the drive at the end of the first half was excellent and proves that we can move the ball against the top defence. I don't know why we only managed to do one drive. Um, Muster looked good when he got handed the ball. He was averaging 8.4 yards a carry, which is excellent. Uh, and Kittle lit it up in the second half to come away with 98 yards or five receptions and a touchdown. And I think he was solid again. Yeah, um, Kittle. Um, can't really say much more than we've already said in previous weeks, really. He sort of continues his upward curve, becoming one of the top tight ends in the league. Um, most, to me, after his misdemeanour of fumbling last week, looks like he could potentially become a decent number two behind Breeder now. He seems to have good burst. He hits the whole lad, doesn't he? Um, decent speed. Seem, seems to be that he could be a nice complement to Breeder, better than Morris. Continues that sort of pacey running game, doesn't he? Whereas Morris is a bit of a plodder. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I Personally, if Breeder's going to continue with these injuries that he's got going on at the minute, I'd be inclined to sit him down for a week possibly two, maybe just one, just to just to rest him because he's not doing us any favours and he's not doing himself any favours at the minute by going out there with these injuries and, you know, he, he's fumbled yesterday. He's he's had to come out of the game after the first play. He's pretty much pleaded to go back in and he, and he hasn't really done much when he's gone back in either, has he? So that injury that he's carrying... At some point, you just have to admit, right, a, a week off will do me good. I need to sit down and just rest it, do whatever it needs to be done, rehab it, and come back in two weeks' time a better player than what you are when you're limping around on one leg out there. I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode. I, I think Breeders' ball security has been suspect this season. Is it, was that his third or fourth fumble this season? And potentially he could have had another couple uh, yeah. as well? Mm. And they all seem to have come after he's had his initial injury. Do you, do you yeah. think the injury's playing on his mind and he's forgetting about the ball security because he is in pain? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I think that's something that Breeder needs to sort out if he wants to be a permanent starter. Obviously, come next season, it's going to be McKinnon. But if he wants to be a yeah, starter... Yeah, I mean, he's going to be the complement to McKinnon, isn't he, next season? Yeah. but. Certainly for this season, him and well, most of it seems to have sorted his act out this week, doesn't he, compared to how we started uh, previously, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, not last yeah, week, so was it? He, the week before when he fumbled. So but... he had that fumble and then he's come back and I don't think he's done it again or been anywhere near to fumbling. And he has looked really good yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, he's been decent. Um, and then I think the only positive for me, well, it's not really game-related, but it's, it's the Cardinals and the Raiders next, so... <laughs> that leads perfectly into what I was going to ask next because obviously we, we, we could have spent all night talking about negatives and mm. I don't know about you but after watching that last night I didn't particularly want to do that because it was obvious for everybody to see what the negatives were it, it, the one question I do have was that game an anomaly I mean like I said when we started this it was a unique game for me 
It's a unique game mm. for this season because we were absolutely atrocious all over the ball, all over the team. We were half decent in the first half on defence, but then it all went to put the second half. And it, as somebody put it, it was a little bit embarrassing watching it in the second half. Oh, yeah, it was embarrassing. There were parts of it that were unacceptable for me, but... We all must became the meme where there's somebody laid on the floor and they're prodding it with a stick. Yeah. Do something. Yeah, yeah, do something. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you look at the, the games on paper, yes, it's an anomaly. But what better chance to try and fix that than the two or the three games that we've got coming up next? If if we can't get it right in the next two games, then yeah, we've got huge problems. I mean, I, I know we said this before the Cardinals game that if we don't win this, then we've got problems, and those problems kind of transpired in that Cardinals game. And then we seem to sort of try and well, they kind of fixed it, other than the the last three minutes in Green Bay, and then it's completely, like I say, it's all sort of uh, been torn down again against LA. So. We've got a chance now to to right these wrongs of the last, well, however many weeks do you want to go back? It's that there are problems in pretty much every game that we've had, haven't they? Even in the win, that there were concerns in that game that we we possibly could have lost that game. So there's a chance now in these games that we've got coming up where we can get the season back on track to a certain extent. And I'm not saying by any stretch of imagination we're going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but just try and get some decent football back into the team again you know convert on third down um win win a bloody game do you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> just yeah. get some of the basics right and and just go out and, and win again get some confidence back into the players you know go out and sack a quarterback three or four times go out and stop a team 10 times out of 12 on third down and just just go out there and win a blooming game of football so week three we lose our starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, out for the season. And I think after week three, everybody reevaluated what they had down for their win-loss column for the end of the season. So since then, we, we've now won in six. Out of those games that we could have won post-Jimmy going down, I only had us down for winning two. So at the moment, even though we won in six, we're actually only two wins away from where I expected us to be. This week, anyway. Yeah. So, as far as a win-loss column is concerned, that's not too far out. Now, looking ahead, we've got Cardinals next Sunday. We follow that up with a Thursday night game against the Raiders. We've then got the Giants at home, followed by the Buccaneers away. And then I think we've got Seattle away. And then the yeah, that Seattle game's getting flexed out as well, yeah. isn't it? And and then the Broncos <laughs> at home. So so that's our next six games. So out of those six, you've got the Raiders, you've got the Cardinals, the Raiders, the Giants, the Bucks, and the Broncos. There's five games I can see us potentially winning. To be honest, if we play like yeah, we did against Green Bay, I can't see us winning Seattle. Um, so Seattle was sandwiched at the end there um, between the Broncos and the Bucks, which, which is why I went one further to say out of the next six games, I think five of them are winnable games. 
Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, and like I say, the next three games are the ones that we really should be uh, looking at now to try and get get the season back up and running. Because at this minute in time, we are actually picking number one in the draft. Yeah, we are. Based on our uh, our uh, head-to-head record and uh, or the uh, strength of schedule record and stuff. To be honest, I don't think we're going to be there come the end of the season. No, I don't think we are. I mean, people will turn around and say, oh, that's just blind faith that you've got your rose-tinted glasses on. But it's not, because I'm looking at the calibre of the teams we've played against, and there's only one of them that's given us a beating, and that was the Rams last night. And to be honest, I don't particularly think the Rams played that well last night. I think we were just that bad. Yeah, the Rams barely got out of second or third gear, really, did they? So you look at the other teams, Green Bay uh, went down to the last second with a field goal. Um, so that that was a very close game. We give the Vikings a good game at the start of the season. Yep. The Cardinals, we shut ourselves in the foot. Pretty much the same as what we did against Green Bay, really, with the turnovers. That could have been a win very easily. The Chargers, we could have won that game as well. Yep, yeah, definitely. And then you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, and we did a lot better than what we were expecting against them as well. And we put up uh, some decent numbers against them. So. Yep. I'm quite happy to look at the Rams game last night and write that off as a, a complete anomaly. Um, if, if you've ever done anything with um, statistics, standard deviation, every now and again you, you'll get this one result that belies any logic. It, it, it stands yeah. out. And what you do with standard deviation is if you have a one result like that, but you've got a 100 that are pretty much aligned, you just get rid of that one result. You put it down to an anomaly yeah. because you can't explain it. And I think that hopefully is what last night was because that certainly wasn't the team that we'd been watching previous weeks. Yeah, so some of the same old mistakes cropped up, but not on such an extent that it went throughout the whole team. It was like a perfect storm of weeks one to six. All the little things that we've picked up and said, they need to improve on this, they need to improve on that have all suddenly come back in this one game and created this perfect storm. Now, there's always a flip side of that coin. We could have a perfect storm where weeks one to six, where we did good things, all took, all come together in one game. And we wipe somebody off the face of the earth in that game. Yeah. I'm not saying it will happen, because there's a lot of players who are going to be licking the wounds after last night. There's a lot of players who are going to be down on confidence I think the coaching staff's going to be on the backs this week. I would expect that that the certain coaching staff are going to be looking over the shoulder, waiting for a call into the office to find out whether or not they still have a job. I don't think that will happen. I, I don't think anybody's getting no. fired during the season. But yeah, I think going forward, and we have to look forward and forget about last night's game, however embarrassing it is, I don't think we'll be picking number one come next year. No, we won't be. We, we had... if, you, if you go back to anomalies, if you think back to the last time we won a Super Bowl in 1994, during the season, I think it was a little bit earlier than in, in the season than, than where we are now, we actually got shellacked at home by the Eagles, 40 points to eight. And we went on to win one of the most one-sided Super Bowls in history that season. So you take that out of that, uh, regular season and it stands out like a sore thumb 
So, so yeah, you're quite right in what you're saying about anomalies and things. Right. Do you have any more positives or negatives? Or, or anything um, else got... you want to basically bring up? Um, injuries, really, isn't it? More injuries. Um, it's got to the stage now where it can't just be bad luck, surely, can it? It's uh, We've got a problem, I think, somewhere. Um, I don't know whether it's something that we're doing on the practice field, something we're doing in the gym, something that we're being coached or, like I say, with Breeder, it's, it's admirable, but you're playing with an injury, mate. You've got to sit down for the for your own benefit and for the team's benefit. I don't know what the answer is either, but something's going wrong for us to be having all of this, uh, all of these injuries that are, that are going on. I don't understand wh why, why it keeps happening. So we do have a conditioning coach. Is it possible that the conditioning coach is wrong or he's doing something wrong? <laughs> I don't know. But to sort of um, try and finish on a positive, the Rams are where we should be next season or the season after. I'll see you the season that's, after. Yeah, that, that's that's the benchmark. That's where we need to aim for. We've, we've got the cap space. They had the cap space. They've rebuilt. They aggressively went out and sought out top players. They didn't take, you know, yes, they drafted up and got Goff, but... You can argue that he wasn't a surefire thing when he came out, but they, they've gone out and they've sought out top players in free agency and through trades, and, and they've paid through the nose to get some of them. But they've had the cap space to do it. We're in a very similar position where we've, we're, re, we're rebuilding. We've got the cap space. So as soon as that free agency period opens and, and the sort of legal tapping up or whatever it is that they call it these days, We've got to be fast out the traps going into that, and, and we need to hit that hard. And in free agency, we need to have uh, a sort of plan of attack that, right, we're going to go out and get ourselves a starting uh, pass rusher. We're going to go and get ourselves a number one receiver. We're going to try and get ourselves uh, maybe a, another quarterback, uh, sorry, another cornerback, or a, a even a second pass rusher. And then we're going to go to the draft for that because we've got the space to go out and do it. So if you can identify sort of those three three or four key positions in free agency, plus your backups here and there, go out, attack it hard. Even if it's players that want to come in on a one-year contract that buy into the what we're doing here in, in terms of trying to win a Super Bowl and trying to build a team through that, similar to what Seattle did in the early part of this uh, decade and similar to what the, the Rams have done last season and this season. Do you think they should be thinking about moving Thomas inside? Because during college, yeah. he, he was yep. an interior lineman. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't play the defensive end role. And I think if you stick him in between Buckner and Armstead, we, we might see a lot more production out of Thomas there than what we're currently seeing on the edge. Yeah, but they need to say to him, right, we're going to put you out there and we're going to play you for 95% of all of the snaps. Yeah. Not put you out there for 26 snaps and then see what happens. He, he's got to go out. They've got to go out there and say to him, right, we're going to pretty much play you for, like I say, ninety-five percent of the of the snaps on defense, and, and and play him at his strongest position. Yeah, I think that's the key. If we do, yeah. if we do draft anyone or pick anybody up in free agency, we we need to be drafting or picking them up 
to play in the position that they're good at playing and that they've spent all the careers yeah. playing there instead of thinking, well, he's a great player, we can use him at this position instead of the position he has been playing, which it seems yeah. as though that's what we have done with definitely with Thomas. Mm. Yeah, um, other than that, what, what did you think about the uniforms? <laughs> so, I like them in a photo. I thought they looked really good when okay. I saw all the press coverage of them. When I watched the game last night, I don't know, I just I was a little disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't like the way they looked. I, I, I don't okay. know if that's because we were wearing the road jersey at Levi's. I think I'd have preferred being in red at Levi's, but having said that, I, I was quite happy with the black. So I don't know. They just didn't look as good as what they did in all the photos. Yeah, I, I liked them. Um, I think it's good, like, like I said in, uh, on the preview, it's good that we're embracing that side of things. But I, I was sort of flicking through Red Zone and flicking through the Sky Game and stuff on uh, yesterday as well when, when it was on. And I think I don't like what the NFL is doing with all of these combinations of uniforms this season that and it seems to be nike of really worming their influence on uniforms i don't think every team needs 127 different variations of their uniform like oregon seemingly does where they change every home game every away game it, you should have your home colors your white roads and then have your one throwback uniform for the week i think that's more than sufficient for any team and I, I really like and embrace the throwback because a lot of the teams are going back with the, the uniforms from you know when we were growing up watching the sport, which is fantastic to see. But when you look at like the Ravens yesterday, they were all in purple, and then the Jaguars last week were in black and teal, and it just some of them just look horrendous. It just needs to be home uniform, away uniform, throwback, or color rush or whatever it is that they want to do. We don't need these ridiculous like the browns are all in brown the browns are stupid all in yeah. brown it nike just stop tinkering so <laughs> go back to basics so, so i agree with you that i think nike has had far too much influence i think nike yeah, exactly. the only reason we have two hoops in our jersey and that really annoys me i hate the two hoop jersey yeah although we had three on uh last night didn't we we did because it was the throwback because it was a throwback yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm all for the three hoops. That's what we've always worn. There's only one season yeah. in history we've ever worn two hoops, and that was on the road jersey, not the home jersey. So yeah, I think Nike have got far too much influence. It's quite obvious why they've uh, made that move from three hoops to two hoops. Everybody knows why. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, th I don't think they should be allowed to do that. And in fact, this is one yeah. one thing that I would turn around and say, Jed York should have turned around and said, no, that's our history, that. You're not changing it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think talking of colours with uh, a lot of professional sports, not not just in America, the only uh, the only colour is the the colour of the money, isn't it? That matters yeah, really. Unfortunately. But I did feel sorry for the um, the alumni guys that were there yesterday because. It was a bit of an embarrassment to them, wasn't it? A game like that, when you're going out there, you're wearing one of your classic uniforms that you've won a Super Bowl in, and then you you you, you go out and have a game like that. That was uh, a poor showing, I yeah, thought, especially with everything else that happened with the uh, statue unveiling and things like that. And then 
yeah, I just thought that that was a, a big letdown to, to all of those old guys that were there yesterday that it, I just felt felt quite sorry for them, really. The fact that they, they went along, they were celebrating, you know, a rich part of our history and it was just such a, a letdown on the field. Yeah, it was almost a flip of the Super Bowl score. That's where it was yeah. going. Yeah. Right, let's do a couple of tips then. I'm, I'll, I'll let Excellent. you go first tonight, Brian. Okay. Um, I've got a couple of... Um, what, what do you want to call them? Sort of... Uh, they're quite touristy things, but they're um, viewpoints. Let's call them viewpoints. Yeah. So the first one is obviously Twin Peaks, which is uh, it's about 15, 20-minute drive tops, sort of down south from downtown. Um, but once you go up there, the views are unbelievable. Um, you need to go up there on a clear day, but you can pretty much look all the way along Market Street from top to bottom. You can see both bridges. You can see all the way down to where Candlestick Park was. You can look way over into Oakland and all across the other side of the, you know, the Marin mainland and stuff around there. Um, if you're going out there and you're looking, you're a bit romantic and you fancy somewhere nice to pop a question, that's ideal. <laughs> um, but it's um, it's spectacular up there. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that when uh, our friend Jose took us up there in 2014, it was. Uh, it was as if someone was peeling onions in the car on the way up there because the view was amazing. It was just one of those unbelievable experiences and it, it's quite peaceful up there. Uh, and the views, like I say, if you go up there on a clear day, the views are sensational. And um, if, you, if you're into that kind of stuff and the viewpoints, if you've got a car, uh, another thing to do would be to go across uh, the Golden Gate Bridge and get up above the Golden Gate Bridge at the um, Golden Gate viewpoint on the north side. Up on the Marin Headland, Marin Headland, yeah. yeah, that 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 there again is absolutely sort of breathtaking view, and and then it's a a completely different view, sort of down on the Golden Gate Bridge and and back over the bay into the city, and and that's um, it's the first exit when you um, go over the bridge from heading out of the city, and then you pretty much work your way up the hill on the left hand side, and there's sort of uh, several different viewpoints that you can pull in and. Uh, and, and look back over and each one of them offers you something different and they're equally as spectacular as the next one but yeah it goes without saying obviously you need to go up both on clear days yeah. and um, when you go up on the Marin Headland that's where you go for that sort of iconic picture of Golden Gate Bridge that you see in a lot of the films that you'll see in a lot of the NFL game day um, broadcasts and things like that where you've got the Golden Gate Bridge sort of down below and then San Francisco in the uh, in the background. And if you do go up there and you've got lugs the size of uh, mine, you might want to wear a <laughs> beanie because not only is it breathtaking, <laughs> it can sweep you off your feet. <laughs> yes, it's quite yeah. windy up there. Yeah, it's a bit like what we said last week. If it's sunny in the city, take a coat up there because it it, it might be sunny up there, but it'd be blooming yeah. cold. Right. So my two tips. One of them is definitely food and drink. The other one we can probably class as food. Um, so every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday up to 2 o'clock in the afternoon there's a market at the ferry building and it's, it's a lovely market. Get yourself along there and mm. sell all sorts of fresh foods, uh, meats, wines, homemade wines. Really nice. And it's, it's nice just to spend a couple of hours wandering 
backwards and forwards, seeing what the stalls have, and maybe go into the ferry building and have a look inside there as well. And the other one is another bar and pub, and it's an Irish bar called The Chieftain. It's on 5th and Howard, and to look at it from outside, it doesn't look much, but it's a, it's a very nice bar inside, lovely atmosphere. It's got the sport on. And I'm just trying to think whether or not I've actually given this tip before. This might have been on that famous lost episode of tips. I may have mentioned this. <laughs> I definitely didn't have it uh, crossed off in my tip list. But yeah, the Chieftain, um, that's a favourite of both mine and David Ellicott's. Um, you can get an absolute cracking shepherd's pie in there. And I know what you're thinking. You go all the way to San Francisco and you, you want a <laughs> shepherd's pie from an Irish bar. But yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's just around the corner from the Westfield Mall and uh, Union Square. And it is a nice little out-of-the-way out type bar. Um, the area around it isn't, isn't great, but it's fine to get to. So you needn't worry about anything like that. And, and it, it's a lovely atmosphere inside. The staff are absolutely fantastic. So yeah, the, the ferry building, get yourself to the market on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturdays. And the chief on 5th and Howard. You can get a fantastic shepherd's pie in there. Right. Thanks for listening again, guys. Hopefully next week it'll be more cheerful than this week. And we'll be able to sit and talk about a, a win, possibly. And have lots of positives rather than uh, negatives. So fingers crossed. And we'll bring you that preview show on Friday as usual. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Look forward to it. Love the San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurts, stiff farm going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Groovy, Walgreens, Bill Belichick, where all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget.